and welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Vecini. We're presented by The Athletic. Today on the show, Matthew Penny is back in the building. Penny and I are going to run through some international draft prospects. We've been deep, really knee-deep, you know, waist-deep. What, what was the snow like this year in Massachusetts, Penny? How, how tough was it? Not waist-deep. Maybe ankle-deep. There's a, there a couple storms, but all things considered, it wasn't bad. Well, we're, we're a little bit more than we're ankle deep. Than that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. In international prospect coverage. So we're going to uh, dive into those prospects here shortly. But we wanted to start with Imani Bates because the Imani Bates conversation is interesting uh, insofar as you can kind of feel the tide turning a little bit on how Imani is being seen now that he's back playing AAU again. I mean, do we think that's fair, Penny? Yeah, it's very fair. It is fair. So I wanted to, and Matt wanted to just kind of discuss where Imani is because, you know, we watched, you know, I'm over here in Australia. I watched, uh, what was, where was he two weekends ago? So not this past weekend, but the weekend before that. There at the the Hensley Memorial Tournament. Yeah. So I, I found some, tape of that uh have you watched any imani from this spring uh i've watched probably six or seven games during the season on live stream and then uh the two games from last weekend i watched one full game and then clips of the other one so i think that what we're seeing with imani bates is just that it's really hard to be anointed this like can't miss number one overall prospect when you're 13 14 years old essentially and just like continue along that trajectory over the course of the next four years essentially it's it's hard i mean like part part of this is like the context too and the context is important where elgin his father decided to pull him kind of out of the school that he was in and essentially create a prep school called ipsy prep to where he is kind of just trying to curry her, courier him through high school. And from a fiscal, from a protectivity, is that a word? Protectivity? Productivity we'll, is a word. I don't know. We'll, we'll count it, yeah. Uh, standpoint, I think that, like, honestly, that's probably the right move for someone like Imani Bates, because at least, like, not in terms of on-court basketball development but just in terms of the madness that surrounds him and can surround someone because there's always people with their hand out when there's a player like Imani Bates there is there are always people around trying to hype him there are always so many different factors that are going to swirl around a kid like that I think like putting him into a program like that in terms of like keeping him Honestly, like it was it wasn't too bad this past year. Like I feel like the hype train around him was excitable, but it was hard to get to him. It felt like, you know what I mean? Sure. So I think that like from a non-basketball standpoint, like creating like a prep school to help get your child from point A to point B with point A being high school prodigy point b being the nba i think that's probably like a reasonable call right in theory i think it is yeah so i also am now starting to wonder if it was the right call for his basketball development i mean like where where do you feel on this whole where are you at on this whole imani bates kind of bandwagon because it's a 
it's a it's tough to kind of separate a from b from c because kind of at the end of the day here over the course of the last let's say year because this was imani bates's junior year i feel like his junior year was not up to what we would consider the standard for a can't miss prospect he shot 38 percent from the field he shot 26 percent from three for ipsy prep uh you watch those games he's certainly impacting them but it's just not like for instance like i thought michael porter had a better junior year in the tape that i watched of him you know everything across the board uh it seemed like michael porter was just kind of a higher level prospect when he was in high school and this is before the back injuries before all of the madness surrounding michael porter before we knew anything about that and before he moved up to seattle with nathan hale i just thought michael porter like looked like a better prospect than imani and look this is coming from someone who like his i've noted in the past like i i was hesitant to hop on the imani hype train even as soon as 2019 uh when everyone was on it just because Imani is six eight and a half with a six foot nine wingspan, and yeah, he was extremely polished, but he seemed to be more polished than everyone for his age. And where would the rest of his game grow from? Uh, that's kind of why physical profile is important because it gives you more room to grow into as a player, almost. And Imani's physical profile is like just average, and that's okay. But I just worry about where this is headed a little bit. Just given the immense amount of hype that surrounds him uh, as a player. So where, where are we at on this, Penny? I also, I'll give you credit too to start. I remember, I think it was two years ago, not at this point, maybe a year and a half, and you had a pod. And I think you said you would take Cade Cunningham over Amani Bates at that time too. So this I, isn't like a, a did, new development. Yeah. Like a lot of people have been super critical of Amani because he didn't play well two weeks ago, didn't have the best high school season. Let's let's start with some positives. He's still an extremely high level prospect. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm I'm with that too, and I, I do want to yeah. say that because yeah, he's still like a very clear one and done prospect. Still like very clear, unbelievable high end player. Um, I, I don't I don't want that to be missed. Like his polish as a scorer is incredible. So continue. Yes, effortless shooter, scorer from distance. He's an improving playmaker. He plays with an edge despite those early accolades that you talk about too. Some guys get complacent. He still attacks plays with fire plays with energy and even these bad games we talk about he's not incredibly efficient but yeah. i think he had like 25 and one and, and 30 and another so he still finds way to score yep. his peers have caught up to him in the size department and he doesn't seem to have been any taller bigger than he was a season ago yep. still very skinny from a physical profile perspective could use 15 to 20 pounds i i watched a lot of games this year and he played a lot of lead guard and point guard and brought the ball up and you can tell when he beats his first man, he has a hard time with the rotating second defender if he gets bumped, if it's a stronger guy. He tends to get bumped off his path a little bit to the basket. And those weekends at the the weekend of games, I'm sorry, at the Bill Hensley Memorial Tournament, he matched up against Jalen Duran of Team Final. Jalen Duran is the number two player in that class. He's six foot ten and he has the body of an NBA player right now. Yep. That team also has multiple other four and five star prospects on that team. They all buy in defensively, they rotate, they scramble, they're all over the place. Imani had a hard time with the physicality of length on the perimeter when guarded by Jalen Duran, who kind of took it personally that game that he was going to check up and make his case of why he should be first. 
the talent around Imani also doesn't help him. It doesn't make his life easier. He has to force the offense, has to shoot yep. deeper than he would like. Even when he does create and place his pass as well, his teammates don't always convert. Totally. The higher level callouts that you were kind of talking about, when you're number one in the class and the speculation is, is he the best prospect since LeBron or is he Kevin Durant 2.0? That's an incredibly difficult thing to live up to regardless of your age and especially if you're 16 or 17 years old. Then you announce on a, a cable sports channel you're going to Michigan State while also announcing the start of a prep school. Like with all these things, every gym you walk into, every player that you line up across, they're going to attack you. So when you have 30 mm-hmm. and shoot it poorly, he, he's labeled as overrated. I get I, it. Like, see, like, I don't even know that, like, overrated is the right word. It's it, it's just a really complicated conversation, I feel like, because I think he's extremely good. I just really worry about, like, the habits he's developing. Like, you, you mentioned, like, still doesn't really absorb contact well when the second defender rotates over and, like, you know, ends up arresting his momentum, right? Sure. I- I'm more worried about he still doesn't like see the right pass in that circumstance. And-, and look, like we can chuck some of that up to teammates, but like he he just seems like he doesn't really read the court all that well. And I, I worry that this is the time when he should be developing that skill. Um, it's it's hard to go from like a one assist, two assist per game guy, or you know, one one assist, two assists per you know x number of possessions that you handle the ball because he handles the ball literally every single possession it feels like um it's hard to make that leap from that level to like unselfish player who gets his teammates involved and makes the right read constantly like i feel like i can count on like one hand and i've watched a lot of imani tape i feel like i can count on one hand the amount of times that like he has seen a rotating defender come over to him and he hits his teammate um in stride for like a kick out three or he hits uh his teammate in stride cutting to the basket like i I, it happens but it's it's rare and like i feel like he just like a part of me is willing to say like his teammates are not as good but like part of me also looks at it and is like this kid has had everything built around him like they literally created a prep school for him (laughs) or saying saying it's a good thing never saying it's a bad thing we gotta we said the same thing about Cade Cunningham like ah his teammates aren't great they're not hitting shots and with Imani he's he's so sped up that he has to make something happen I feel like his offense he has to get going quicker yeah because there is that sense of urgency so when he catches it by the volleyball line and pulls up Kind of got to do that sometimes, especially when you, you start do. crawling the hole. You're down 10 to 15. The other team's starting to press. It's like, here we go again. No, and that's 100% right. You absolutely need him to get going because they have no chance if he's not going because they just don't have talent on the team, right? Like, with all due respect, their team is not as talented as some of these other teams that he's playing. So I get that, but I also just like, I worry about like the the accountability factor with some of these shots that he takes. Like, yeah, they're they're bad. Like he's, I I will say, like you brought up a really good point though, and this will be the last thing before I let you talk again. I'm sorry. Um, (laughs) We're good. We're this. We're we're dumping out the brains. Let's go. Like, I think that the competitiveness factor in the fact that he really gives a damn, like that is something that comes with being accountable to your teammates and comes like with that factor, right? So I don't think it's like purely you know his dad's letting him do whatever the fuck he wants on the court like i don't think it's that like i you see that he cares and you see that he wants to be good on defense but like on offense like he 
just clearly does do whatever the fuck he wants. So like, it's hard. Like it's, it's a hard yeah. conversation to figure out like how much of it is lacking accountability to his teammates, to his coaching staff. How much of it is he just has to do everything for this team to win. I frankly don't know, like just from afar and seeing what I see. But what I will say is like the tape does not look great right now unfortunately like it, it just looks kind of ugly when you watch Imani Bates play I'm sorry it's not it sucks like I, I don't enjoy saying that at all but also a little bit of product product of his environment if he were at a place like IMG Academy a Mount Verde Academy Oak Hill La Lumiere one of those powerhouse basketball prep schools where there are other four and five star guys around him he can take off a player two on offense and it's okay like they're going to yeah. get a basket. Someone's going to create their own offense, and then maybe you fall asleep a little bit on him in the corner. And now he's attacking a shifting defense on a skip pass, as opposed to you have five guys locked in on you, and the second you put it on the floor, a second defender's coming, and they're pinching the lane a little bit, and there's nowhere to go. And then you have to shoot from 28 feet off the bounce. The thing that would but, be best for him, I think, is just like going to the G League Ignite. Like I know that like theoretically he's not old enough to do that yet. But the, the G League Ignite is, like, making up rules on the fly with this shit, right? Like, <laughs> <laughs> We're all making up rules this year. Yeah. I'm not I mean, faulting them for it. Yeah, like, no, it's, like, totally fine. Like, recruit who you want to recruit, in my opinion, if you're the Ignite. But, like, I think that, like, that's what would be best for him. It's just, like, getting into a different circumstance where, you know, Brian Shaw would be like, dude, you can't do that shit. And I'm sure that, like, you know, Elgin is doing what he can on that front. But, like, it's different coming from an NBA coach when you're playing with the G League Ignite than it is coming from your dad, who, by all accounts, you know, has handled this well-ish. We're starting to get some signs on Instagram otherwise. But, like, I think that (laughs) for the most... Yeah, like, I don't really want to go there either. Um but it's just different when it's coming from an NBA coach, right? Exactly. And that's one of the refreshing things when you talk to NBA scouts because we as a, a high school and even like college media, I, I, we see these kids a lot at the grassroots yep. level. And it's always great to me when NBA scouts have fresh eyes and they go watch the kids at Elite 100 or Steph Curry Camp or the Nike Skills Academy or, or one of those higher level events. And they can just like write off guys who are top 10 prospects and you have to take a pause yourself and say, how, like, how did I miss that? Like, you're absolutely right. Did I fall into what everyone's saying and just kind of group think that they just see that it wasn't as translatable in the NBA? And that was kind of like the feedback a lot on him that first Nike Elite 100 when NBA scouts watching him and, and not on live stream that there were some concerns about his size and, and his game and the way he played. So it wasn't like a total shock when this tidal wave has come playing up playing 17 U this weekend we had played 15 U and 16 U before they yeah. did play a national high school schedule but didn't have like the the strongest of games all the time and when they're playing a low, lo- lower level of competition he could still pull up and shoot over the top of defenders i do want to say this though the path to being a contributing player on an nba roster is not linear Anthony Edwards faced very similar criticisms as Imani, just not at the heightened level that's going on right now. Anthony skipped USAB his senior year to play at NBA camp. He felt he wouldn't get enough playing time with USA Basketball, wanted to showcase his ability in front of NBA scouts instead, and the camp was certified for scouts to be there. He stayed at Holy Spirit Prep in Georgia, didn't transfer to a basketball powerhouse, and frankly, he played poorly at big events like the Hoopal tournament in springfield massachusetts which is one of the biggest high school basketball 
events of the year. They lost yep. to Mount Verde by 20-plus. He wasn't great. It was a setting for him to solidify his standing as a top player in the class, and he didn't. He has an up-and-down season in Georgia, probably, I'd say, more up offensively. There are efficiency questions there. But he's picked first overall. He's averaging almost 19 points per game for the Timberwolves at 19 years old. So, like, all this stuff is still where we started. And Monty's still a very high-level guy, very high-level kid. Doesn't have to be LeBron. Doesn't have to be Kevin Durant. He has a skill set that it's going to work at his size. Just if you have to pump the brakes a little bit on the hype train, it's not the worst thing in the world. No, please do. Like, genuinely. Like, I I think that that's more than anything what I would like to see. I would just like to see the brakes get, like, tapped here on this. Because, like, you you talk about Anthony Edwards. Anthony Edwards is prototypical size elite physical tools like not just like good physical tools like one of the five or six best athletes in the nba in terms of the way that he translates explosiveness into power and into like body controlled uh pull-up jumpers right like it's just kind of a Anthony Edwards is kind of a different beast in it, terms it, of the it's way. It's a different like, beast, but but more so he faced the music for a while and people yeah. started whispering, well, I don't know, like the background and he didn't play on, on the highest level here and there and like it still worked out and it's still working out. So I just don't want people yeah. to write off Imani because the high school's totally. not great. People are leaving. He has a bad weekend. Like he didn't play this weekend. Oh, no, His it, team played. He didn't. So he had a bad yeah. weekend, an okay year shooting a lot at his high school prep school like he has plenty of time to to bounce back and to get better and like i remember probably a year ago there's a video posted of him hitting 83 pointers in a row like there's still a lot there yeah no and i think that it's important that we don't you know add to the the like cacophony of negativity right um i think we're just trying to like contextualize hey this is uh this is a conversation that's happening right now and this is a difficult conversation and trying to figure out all of the different contextual factors is important when having this conversation. Imani Bates is still a very clear one and done, like top five prospect in any high school class, like period. Um, unbelievable player, uh, unreal talent. His polish is incredible as a scorer. Like, the way that he can get in and out of jumpers with different footwork. Like, he can go, you know, hesitation, crossover into, you know, right-left shot prep, goes up for a pull-up, has a bit of a natural fade and, like, makes it, right? Or, you know, goes in and out dribble into between the legs, into crossover, into left right foot prep you know natural fade knocks down like a 25 foot three pointer you see those little flashes and it's just like what the fuck are we watching like (laughs) well well, that's why i went back and i I went back on synergy this week and i said all right let me me look at this kid again like let me watch this again let me watch the season let me watch every offensive possession because that stuff is there it is it's it's there yeah but those shots get harder as you move up levels like those shots oh, get lo- really... longer bigger defenders absolutely they get harder yeah. they get really hard as you move up levels and imani bates is big and i think that that's the big thing like imani bates is almost six foot nine so like the length matters particularly as it refers to him being able to like drive and get to the rim and finish and that's a big part of being an efficient basketball player in the nba as a primary scorer i think that that's where i'm like most 
hesitant on this is that and with the passing and with like consistently making high level reads as a passer um but his pull-up game his craft it's unbelievable i mean he is he is like one of the most polished players i've seen in terms of just like pull-up game craft and being able to separate from defenders get into that set setback into that sidestep jumper like the way he was able to pick that stuff up is unbelievable and it's created for him an incredible base to build upon i think that where i'm at though is he just hasn't really built upon that base over the course of the last year unfortunately and other guys have now caught up and that's okay he's still an elite level prospect but he's you know i i just want people to slow down like i saw like you know and i love jeff goodman i I don't mean to like call him out but like jeff goodman said like imani bates is the best prospect that like he's seen since kevin durant and I, i just don't know that that's it's certainly not how I feel. I guess is what I would say. We're we're so quick to do that though, too. I mean, I was at a yeah. Um, a, I it, I, like I just don't think it helps anyone either with no, that kind it, of hyperbole it, it, to be it, said. It doesn't. But we like to jump on and, and be the first to say it. And I was at an event in Arizona early in the year, the only like live event I went to pre-COVID or pre-vaccination. I don't know how you would label it. And Chet Holmgren was playing, and I've seen Chet a million times. He played on an armor circuit. He made one move. He he caught it half court. Had like a right dribble put it behind his back, like kind of just stepped through and dunk, and a, a scout, long-time scout, turned to another guy and said, that's the best prospect I've seen in 20 years. So you saw one play. Like, <laughs> he hasn't been on the West Coast. Like, let's let's watch a full game and, and get up and down. So it's just, we're in this, I don't want to get too deep here, but it's just in this instant gratification type of society where that like that's the expectation, that we label these kids so young, and if they sway off the path a little bit, immediately everyone jumps over them. He's got plenty of time whether it's G League, college, whatever, to improve his developmental stuff. Hopefully he gets some better pieces around him next yep. prep season and, and these conversations or we'll look back on and think they were funny we even had them. Yeah, no, I hope so too. That'd be fantastic. Uh, let's take a quick commercial break and then we're going to get to international prospects. Okay, and we are back. Penny, how much international basketball do you watch over the course of the year, typically? Uh, during the college year or like not during the college year, I guess is the, the best way to frame it. Answer both. <laughs> during the college year, it's <laughs> tough. The college season is tough because it seems like there's games on all waking hours and you wake up, you try to catch up on the rest. But I'll kind of look at, at your big board and other big boards because I, I just frankly don't know the younger kids that are coming up in the system overseas and internationally. So then I'll cherry pick those names, see what games I could find and watch from there. So since the season ended, I've actually watched a lot, but I do my initial sweep during the year. So I, I have some idea of what I'm talking about when, uh, when you press me. Yeah. So what about you gonna, is a better question? Yeah. We're going to dive a little bit deeper into this and it's interesting because a lot of these guys are still playing, by the way. Uh, did you know Oscar De Silva is like playing for Ludwigsburg? in germany right now i, I, I did I, I i had a coach tell me like a week after the season text me like yeah the silva's already playing overseas I'm like what do you mean like in a in like a month or two like no no he played last night he played really well like what yeah like, what yeah no he's good for him like he's he's getting some time to play and uh, i think he has an nba out as well so he's gonna uh play the end of this season here for ludwigsburg and he's a two-time all pack 12 player and uh 
you know, then go along and prep for the NBA draft after that. I, I think that it's it's very abnormal for professional teams to be interested in players directly after their college season ends because a lot of the time their season is coming down to the end and a lot of the time it's just kind of hard to find landing spots for imports, right? But Oscar de Silva was born in Munich and uh, obviously is someone that Ludwigsburg has uh, just kind of had their eye on for a while. So uh, it's, it's fascinating it's, that it's, it's he's already scouting. over there. Yeah. What was the situation last year with Justinian Jessup? Was that after the season? Like, did he play games before the draft? I just can't remember. Did he play games before the draft? No, he worked out before the draft. He he built his draft stock like going to L.A. and working out with some of the clutch guys and working out with some of like the L.A. based guys. And everyone who worked out with him was like, oh, no, this guy is like a very real player uh he is six foot seven can shoot the ever-loving shit out of the ball and is a very real like nba prospect but he was internet but he was playing internationally right like he was already signed internationally before the nba draft if i'm not mistaken he was yeah so he signed with the hawks over here in i want to say october maybe god his agent nate's gonna kill me um maybe october something like that but it was it was clear that he was going to be a stash this year they set it up so that he was going to be a stash um for the 2020 2021 nba season yeah that makes sense so the jessup thing is interesting and i think more nba teams should be willing to like look down that road and i think a lot more uh players should really be willing to look down the australia road please come come see me over here in australia um i think that it's a really smart road for a lot of borderline draft prospects uh you know someone i'm trying to think of like a guy that makes sense for that like someone like a almost like a quentin grimes maybe uh who would very clearly get minutes here in the nbl and could continue to um lift his stock with an nba team while also like telling them hey i'm getting stashed over here next year you won't have to use a second round roster spot on me like you won't have to use a two-way spot on me that's actually really appealing to nba teams so i think that you know we're kind of down a rabbit hole here but i do think that you know if i if i was advising players which you know I, i don't often but sometimes do um, just, you know, having conversations or whatever. I, I do think that the path over here, like doing or path in Europe, like saying, Hey, I will stash for the 2020 21 season is one that more teams near the bottom of the draft or more players in that, you know, 45 to 75 range should be willing to go for in order to kind of confirm their you know ability to get drafted. Yeah. And we, we have a lot of younger, I'd say, international prospects we're going to dive into here that some of them probably fit that mold too it would be interesting to see kind of what you're saying if more american-based players follow that same path too yeah like you know someone i'm trying to think of like a name um you know honestly it was funny like the first name that came to mind for me was sandro but because sandro's already like european and is going to be able to i think he's what is he georgian is that right yes yep um you know he'd be able to get a job over in europe easy and stash over there for a year and an nba team would love that to happen um someone like trying to think of a name um i wonder if like trendon watford would have interest in that 
Like, I wonder, like, I think that he'd probably be pretty okay over here in Australia, especially if he could really, like, lock down his jumper. Um, that's an interesting one to me. Um, you know, yeah. do the do the Next Stars program for a year and then go back and maybe you've really improved yourself. You know, have more of a primary role. Yeah, good. And, and I think he'll probably end up being a second-round guy, but it's uh, it is something to debate, I guess. And maybe the playing overseas in Australia in that program has has done well and produced guys. So there there is some proof of concept there too. Okay, so that's not what we're going to talk about, though. We're going to talk about international prospects. So who who's the first guy you want to start with? Let's start with the guy that you think you are most impressed with. As an international, I don't want to go most impressed. I want to go most impressed. You know, I'm a hater. I, I just, I have a few like interesting ones that I, I want your take on. Okay, so who, who do you want to start with? Then let's go. With. Let can we do? And you're going to be way better at the names than me. And I, I, I do apologize. Can we start with Alperin Sangoon? Yeah, nailed it, nailed it. Let's, okay. let's do no, this. That's thing, an man. easy one. I mean, we we, we get to a, a more difficult place. So my kind of just scouting take on it, and, and I'd watch him early in the year, and now he's he's playing well. To finish the year, 6'10 center, playing in Turkey. He is only 18 years old, putting up huge numbers in that league. It, it's close to like 19 points, 9 rebounds, 2.5 assists, 1.7 blocks. He's shooting yes. 65% from the field. For, for context, he is, he's second in that league in scoring, rebounding, and blocks. Right. Yes. Uh, where was I here? It's only 19% from three. That's the other thing. On 21 attempts. Not a, a ton of... Uh, sample there to make a fair assessment i like his hands i like his footwork he's fluid enough to finish over either shoulder uh, i like this balance and body control in the post he can fake he can spin he keeps his composure plays off what the defense gives him he knows how to use those reverse pivots drop steps to create space but can be very upright he's lazy at times during double teams uh defensively he's pretty slow laterally and switching on defense he can be flat-footed lacks that first burst step for a defensive cutoff my kind of question to you is this when I watched him. And the, so how much of, of the love for him right now is this imitation as the highest form of flattery move where last year the NBA playoffs were, I like to call the Bam Adebayo playoffs. They didn't win the, Miami did win the championship, but the hunt was out to find the next Bam, which yeah. probably was incorrectly Onyeka Kongwu. And that's not Onyeka's fault. That's just he got that label prior to the draft. And, and he's been okay. He hasn't played a ton of minutes, but – you started now we're watching hurt, it in. so yeah no it's yeah exactly it's playing like i think Onyeka is gonna be good and i think you do as well i do he's gonna work his way back in the rotation yeah now we're watching nba season where nikola Jokic is your likely mvp or at least a, a top three candidate and suddenly alperin sangoon becomes the the next Jokic type of player and, and i mean this <laughs> respectfully but i, I don't yeah. know i don't know if i necessarily am on board with that so most mock drafts it seems that he's really skyrocketing up and i'm curious where you see him fit kind of in this Jokic mold slash people are afraid to miss on the next bam the next Doncic, the next Jokic, and, and where this kind of nets out i definitely think that there's like a fear factor to it for sure uh <laughs> yeah that, a good tv NBA show teams. and also probably yeah, yeah probably the same thing they're going through get joe rogan on board where's the uh oh, okay. the, yeah. no, maybe not the, yeah. Yeah, maybe, maybe, theory or something. Yeah. Maybe, maybe we'll pass on pass Jordan. pass yeah, yeah keep going keep going <laughs> um no with sangoon it's interesting i do think that there's like a concern about missing on the next Jokic. uh he's having said that like one of the most productive bigs 
in the last decade and a half one of the most really productive teenagers in the last decade and a half of international basketball um the turkish league is really good it's like actually a strong league with a lot of high level professional basketball players like Jarrell Eddy is a former NBA player you know he's in that league Emil Jefferson former NBA player um in that league uh you know Darian Atkins I think was a two-way at one point Tariq Phillip was obviously a very high level player at uh, West Virginia and you know Mariel Shayok was a draft pick and James Blackman and Kyle Wilcher and Eric Green was a first round pick and um Nando DiColo like plays more of Fenerbahce's like Euroleague games but um you know he plays for Fenerbahce occasionally and Robert Johnson was the former starting point guard in Indiana Andrew Andrews is all big t- or all Pac-12 at Washington Elgin Cook was a combine invite Daryl Macon was a two-way player Sam Decker's a first round pick uh Devon Purcell yeah. like you know you can go down keep going down this list Nick Johnson um Matt Farrell's here uh C.A. Michich uh, is you know one of the better international point guards um like you can just keep going up and down you'll find very very high level players that play in Turkey and it's a very good league and Sangoon is second in the league in scoring and second in the league in rebounding and second in blocks like what he's doing is not uh dominating like you know the Estonian league or something like that like this is sure. not um this is not high numbers bad league like this is comparable to what guys like uh Jonas Valanciunas did uh what someone like Yusuf Nurkic did in the Adriatic League this is um you know Nikola Jokic's big year Jokic was a stash if people remember correctly um his big year came after he was stashed where he won like the Adriatic League MVP and um you know, was very clearly the best player in that league. Uh, he really wasn't that until afterward, really. Uh, he was uh, entering the draft. Like, Denver was excited about him because Jokic went to the Nike Hoop Summit and was excellent at playing with, like, Emmanuel Moutier and pick and roll and, like, being, uh, you know, just kind of a super high feel the game guy while being six foot ten with a seven foot four wingspan like it's another guy who was like really actually underrated physical tools because everyone just kind of sees him as oh yeah he's like the you know kind of kind of puffy you know non-explosive guy but he's also got super length to shoot over the top of people and his body control and like the way that he processes the game obviously is just incredible but i digress with sangoon there are a few things that I worry about in terms of translation, but I think that you hit most of the positives. I think his hands are like some of the best hands I've seen for a big prospect. Like he just is so coordinated and fluid and his hand eye coordination is so unbelievable that he's just so productive and he has a really great feel for how to find open areas, I think, and how to find these just little soft spots in the defense and then sit in them, especially out of ball screens. But also, like, frankly, out of posts up, makes a pass, you know, as a kick out guy drives and then he just like finds that little soft spot, like either in the dunker spot or in the middle of the paint where he's going to be able to find that dump off pass. Right. Like he, he's a very, very smart, impressive player. The few things that worry me here is I don't really love the shot mechanics. Do you? 
No, it, it's okay for mid-range, too. It doesn't get a ton of lift on it. He has a, a decent touch from there, but from three, I, I do not. I think it just takes him forever to get it off. Like, if I, do you remember when Willie Cauley-Stein, like, people pre-draft were like, oh, yeah, like, Willie Cauley-Stein, like, look at these shots in a wide-open gym. Like, he might shoot it at some point. <laughs> well, it, we do that with everybody, and I'm, I'm guilty of it, too. But, yes, right. But, like, you watch those shots – and he was like taking a full second to set, had like an enormous exaggerated ball dip, and you know was making them wide open. And then it's just like, well, when you have a guy running at him, and he's not going to have as long to get it off, like he's not going to have as much time to set. These shots are just like not going to be likely to go in at full speed in the game. Like we're we're saying, Goon is at like I just don't think he's going to make shots like in the midst of the run of play right now. Um, like, I think he's at least a few years away from that. Um, makes free throws, like, very clearly has good touch. I, I just think it's going to take time for him to be anything resembling a shooter. Um, like, he might be more of a um, more of a Jonas Valanciunas, like, shooter, where over time, Jonas became able to, like, run a pick-and-pop, and now, you know, is, like, an okay shooter who's a bit of a threat from there. But... Not like a guy that is going to get a bunch of his points as like a pick and pop guy either. Um, the other part of his game that I'm like a little bit skeptical of is his rebounding. It's very strange because like he gets almost half of his rebounds on the offensive glass. Offensive, and like, very, very good nose on the offensive glass, yes. Yeah, and he just like like NBA teams just don't do that really (laughs) like they just don't crash the offensive glass like that anymore they want their guys back in transition defense not dominating the offensive glass so I worry a little bit about how that looks I don't think he's like some incredible defensive rebounder right now what I will say is that over the course of the year I think he's gotten much better at adjusting to how the defense plays him and making high-level passing reads. Uh, early in the season, I thought that he kind of processed the game as a passer a little bit slowly, to be honest. Um, throughout the year, he's gotten much better as a passer and gotten to the point where he is much more comfortable seeing where the help is coming from and making a high-level passing read. But not Jokic, and, and that's important too because Jokic is one of the best passing bigs we've ever seen, and, and that adds to his game where you said he's athletic in what he can do he doesn't have to jump out of the gym but then the passing adds another element that you have to respect cutters off the ball and you really have to pressure him you can't leave him open from three and Sengun's going to be able to hit shots eventually when left open he just has to keep the defense honest Mm -hmm. if we say that he's a he's a five he's a he's a center where do you and it's kind of like a, a style of play where it's not just plug and play with any franchise i'd I'd argue that there's probably like a handful of teams that this would work best. Yeah. Where do you feel comfortable kind of slotting him right now? Well, the the thing is that we haven't talked about the defense yet, and I don't know how you feel. Um, oh, it's drop coverage city, baby. Yeah, I don't feel great about him on defense in the slightest. Uh, I, I I think he's actually going to score, and I think he is going to make the right passing read, and I think that he's going to be a really effective offensive player in the NBA, actually, as a center. I really honestly don't know that i see where the defensive fit is in the slightest right now because he's not like he's probably like six nine and a half with like a seven foot wingspan again Jokic is like between six ten and six eleven with like a seven foot four wingspan like those extra right you know six five and a half five inches six inches in terms of just reach like that really plays in 
a big role whenever you're like extending out your arms and sliding with a guy defensively or trying to cut off in drop coverage, like trying to cut off that driving angle. And, um, you know, your guy kind of, or your offensive player runs into your chest and you have to arrest momentum for that guy. Uh, you have to get to that spot first. And part of it is quickness. But part of it is also just like having the length as well to get there. Um, and then additionally, obviously as a rim protector, those extra five or six inches are enormous in terms of um, being able to protect the basket. So, I don't know. I'm I'm like pretty I'm pretty worried <laughs> yeah. on defense. I would say yeah. So uh, so offense ahead of the defense, but still kind of undecided how it works in a, a greater defensive yeah. scheme. I guess you could say. Yeah, and he's smart enough to where I think he'll figure it out on defense, like to a non like Cantarian level. Like Ennis Cantor is just way too slow <laughs> like sometimes you throw out sat words and i'm like i don't i don't know cantarian they're like oh no it's, it's canters oh yeah okay yeah um yeah like i, I don't think it's going to be that bad by any stretch so the question is like can he get to like an average level defensively to where he can take advantage of being like a super high level offensive player kind of in the same way that demonis Sabonis has for the pacers um yeah i i would take sangoon like right around the end of the lottery I think if a team wants to take him higher than that, I would get it. I think uh, like if team wants to take him at 10, I, w- I would get that. I'm trying to decide right now, like between him and Kai Jones, like just so drastically different players. In very so different, different. Very ways. different. Yes. Um, yeah. I still haven't done the deep dive uh, for the draft guide on either of those guys yet. I'm probably going to do Kai you know, coming up here in the next week or so. Um, I'll wait until Sangoon's <laughs> season ends before doing his. Right. So, yeah, it's a tough one with Alper and Sangoon. Uh, I, I, I'm laughing. I'm, I'm laughing about your deep dives because just a, a pull behind the curtain here. Sam will text me at whatever time after rewatching film and kind of just be like, what have we done? Like, this guy not as good as we thought he's too high i did the deep dive so once you get there, oh i, I texted kai jones i'm i'm looking yeah looking forward to your feedback i don't think i texted you about keon johnson i did the keon johnson one yesterday and i was like yeah i like him but i don't think i'd take him in the top 10 <laughs> um, well that, that's that's again that's probably another pod for another day i don't know who yeah. you take in the top 10 anymore yeah, and, and, maybe, and look, you know what? Maybe that's part of Sangoon and Usman Garuba and those guys really rising. Is the college season is over, the international travel restrictions are lifting. And it's maybe the overseas players are benefiting the most this cycle from recency bias. I mean, do, do people even remember Johnny Juzang? Like that was a thing like a, a month ago, and that's like really died down. And now everyone's all gassed up about the the international wave of guys. Yeah, I feel like even the Davion Mitchell stuff has died down a little bit. Yeah, we he was six for a couple hours. Like I think it's it's kind of settled back to I don't know, mostly like mid lottery. It feels like I did I did the Davion Davion Mitchell deep dive yesterday too uh, for the draft guide. I did him and Keon. Those were the two. That was uh, Davion's good. I'm excited for Davion. <laughs> I'm very excited for Davion Mitchell at this point. I would say good he's good i don't that's one that i don't think we fucked up i think he's just actually really good <laughs> yeah he's, uh, he'll produce where would you take sangoon though oh god uh 
I've I've looked at my big board. I've tried to make one. And I, I walk away for a few days and come back and try to see. I I can't I can't place it yet. I can't because he's an improving athlete and, and he did this move last week on a fast break where he did this three sixty and didn't sky off the ground. But he even said in an interview, I was never an athlete. I just kind of like figuring this out and getting my body in better shape. Yep. If he improves that way and somehow that translates to to quicker burst defensively, like I see it in the lottery. I'm just so anti drafting fives and drafting centers because yeah. you can get them a free agency you can get them later in the draft I'd, I'd rather try for that six eight guy with the six eleven wingspan that plays in the wing so uh the 20s is fair but uh without putting pen to paper yet on a, a final draft of a, a mock board i guess it's kind of where i'm at right now yeah and i think it's worth noting like the trajectory at sangoon too sangoon uh was like a former i mean like i don't want to say like fat kid but was like not in the best shape. Like I think he was up around like 265 or so uh, when he was younger, playing for like some of the Turkish national teams, uh, youth national teams, and now is down to like 240 pounds. And you can see that like the explosiveness is like I went back and watched some of the older stuff. He he's like a totally different player in terms of explosiveness. So there might be some even further potential there. Like Nikola Jokic, you know, derived out of his athleticism. So um yeah, I, I'm at the point where I think I would take Sangoon at the end of the lottery and do it pretty comfortably right now. Uh, even even being as anti five as I am, because I'm anti five for non shot creators, and I think that he has a chance to at least like create some shots here and there for teammates. Yeah, like, with his passing, that's way. fair. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. Let's talk about NBA Chalamet, aka Josh Giddy. Where Where are we at with uh, my beautiful sweet Australian son? <laughs> well, I saw you posted. You're a courtside. You, you don't know better than me. You see basketball in person. Another triple double last week. So uh, yeah. I, I feel with this recent success, he's playing with more confidence. If that's possible, he seems a little bit more assertive on his drives. Not settling with floaters as much. I, I just feel like he gets bailed out a lot by his vision, and that's not totally a negative, but when he drives into a wall and makes a quick, albeit like forced decision to kick out once he's trapped, he, he does have those passing instincts to kind of know where, where guys are. And I don't like that he still picks up his dribble with pressure once he gets over the, the half court. For the positives, yep. the pick-and-roll playmaking is very real. He places bounce passes perfectly to the roll man or can get yep. some breathing room, use hang dribble and attack. I like the the progression of where it is, but a, another guy that's kind of like sneaking up lottery into top ten conversations lately. Yeah, and I'll be honest, like I've had Josh there for you know even before the triple doubles, right? Like I've had him you know borderline lottery, borderline top ten even for you know it feels like a month and a half now. Um, the thing with Josh is his handle is not awesome right now. And it's in part because I think he's still like growing into his frame a little bit. Like he's six foot eight. He's not that skinny anymore. Like I will say that, like having seen him up close, like he's probably 200 pounds at this point. Like I think he's listed at, you know, 185, 190 or so. Like he's, he's pretty solid right now. Um, but not like not too solid to where there won't be further, you know, development in terms of the frame he's at like he's still like a child teenager that is strong and is like growing but he's not a man that's 
like six nine, two hundred and forty pounds. Like it seems like every single big in the Australian league here is like like oh, Daniel Johnson. They're bruisers. They're, yeah, they're bullies, man. They push you then, around in that league. The other part of it is too the referees let them like <laughs> it's, no, it's, it's Australian rules football just on a basketball court. That's all. Oh, I mean, like it's not that bad, but like seriously, the the Australian <laughs> league referees like really let some pushing and shoving go underneath the basket from bigs. It's pretty funny, um, and that that stuff kind of ends up filtering its way into uh the what happens when these guys drive right so like giddy will get contacted and get like sent to the ground because a these guys are six foot ten 240 pounds and like these big enormous australian dudes sometimes and then b uh you know he's not quite there yet in terms of his strength so i think his handle is not great yet and honestly i think the handle in the shot or the two swing skills. I actually do think he's going to shoot it. Having seen the jumper up close, uh, there's nothing broken. Like it looks fine. He's shooting. I think something like 32% is a shooter this year. Uh, from three, he takes like something like three, three point attempts a game. Let me pull up the numbers now. Um, yeah. 31% on 3.6, three points per game. Nothing looks broken with the shot. Um, he's just not like, he hasn't repped through it yet. Like he doesn't look wildly comfortable taking them quite yet. Um, really good rebounder, like loves to like get in there and try to play tough. Right. Like he, he has no problem absorbing contact. He has no problem um, in terms of like his competitiveness levels. Like he wants to be the guy that's like going in there, crashing the glass and starting the break. Right. Um, he, he loves to grab and go and then try and make a play out in transition where, like you said, like pinpoint passer, like absolute pinpoint oh, yeah. passer can put it on a dime like absolutely nobody's business. Um, the thing is, though, that like these smaller guards, like the game that I saw, like Mitch McCarron, like got underneath him uh, and Mitch McCarron's like you know real chance to be on the Australian national team, like at the Olympics, like really, really good guard. Um and really high level defensive guard really like Mitch McCarron, like got up underneath him and made him super uncomfortable as a ball handler. And I think that that's where the next evolution for him is going to be like tightening, tightening up his handle, getting counter moves for what happens when someone gets kind of up underneath you like that uh, being, he's very comfortable, like changing paces, but it's still just like not all that tight and it can get a little bit loose from time to time so tightening up the handle is going to be critical shooting it's going to be critical and then the final thing with giddy right now is like he's just not a good defender right now like he ends up kind of outside of his defensive stance but again it's not from want to it's from he just like isn't physically there to where he can really defend in this league um especially being like six foot eight and still trying to like honestly like sometimes defensively it feels like he's still trying to figure out like where his limbs are almost like in (laughs) (laughs) like a hangman like type situation like stick figure don't know the arms are or what well it's it's just like like you um, so you're six foot nine for people who don't know shout out matt penny being six six, seven plus we'll say six nine the program though okay so when were your growth spurts uh, late. I'm a bad. I'm a bad one to do this. I graduated high school at like six four and a half, and I grew. I actually grew two inches my freshman to sophomore year of college. Then at out at about six seven. No, I think that's great. You're actually the perfect person for this. Then, like when <laughs> okay, good. after you grew, like 
how how was it figuring out like where your body was? Because like it's when you grow that it has much, like a, like, human in a, or short a basketball player. Of, as yeah. a basketball player, like in a short amount of time, like I feel like it well, takes a minute for you to figure out like where your body is at all times, you know? Yeah. Well, well, what I figured out was that's when the coaching staff asked me to walk on. Like, you grew three inches last time. I want to play. I'm like, yeah, absolutely. This has <laughs> been my dream. So let's do it. But it, it does. There is an adjustment period, even when you're just playing pickup at the campus rec center or whatever. Like, you're, you're getting used to how your body moves and how it fills out. So I, I get that with him at, at 18 years old. And, Right. Some of the things you're saying, it's it's interesting, funny, whatever you want to use it, call it, because we're saying the same things about LaMelo Ball, who's in that yeah. league, and a lot of the criticism of him were didn't care defensively, and he didn't. And and you reference this a lot of there's Josh cares defensively ball, too. But yeah. The ball the ball would be reversed and LaMelo would turn down and tie his shoe like during the play. So he's not <laughs> he's not doing that, but we were worried about LaMelo defensively, we were worried about his jumper. The, the creation and, and vision, I, I'd take LaMelo over that in the handle. But yeah. uh, my point is that in that Australian league, people think very highly of Josh Giddy and, and think that he's going to pan out. And some of those red flags aren't as concerning to me. It, it's more can the jumper get there and, and speed up and be able to use his body a little bit better and not fall as much in the lane and maybe not getting a clothesline from a, a 6'8", 260-pound Australian will, will help as well. The... So, yeah, the, the difference between – and I actually do get asked this, like, in Australia here. Like, what is the difference between Giddy and LaMelo? Because, like, Josh Giddy's numbers are not that far off of what LaMelo's were last year. Um, in, like, for instance, in the assist column, I think in rebound column, like, I think it's actually a little bit better for Giddy. Um, the difference between Giddy and LaMelo is in the handle. Uh Lamello's ability to simultaneously shift gears, flip his hips, like essentially just break down defenders and create and get into the lane is just at a in a different world than where Josh is. And that's totally fine. I see Josh more as a secondary playmaker in the vein of like a Joe Ingles long term. Um, maybe like a better passing, slightly worse shooting Joe Ingles because Joe Ingles has turned in yeah, like not, 40, yeah, 45% not three point shooter. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, like I think Josh probably has a good shot to shoot like 37, 38% from three while being like a little bit better of a passer. But like it's more bigger wing who can initiate your offense occasionally, um, especially on like second side ball reversals uh, as opposed to like super high level point guard who's gonna do a bunch of stuff and then josh is also going to be able to lead the break and like create transition offense and things like that like it's closer to it's closer to what lonzo does in the nba than what Lamelo does in the nba and mm, yeah lonzo is a good player but Lamelo is just like kind of a different dude you know what I mean? Yeah, so I, mean, I, I I do. He's throwing full court scoop passes and you know one touch darts into the middle of the lane. And to to add your giddy point a little bit, it's not a criticism to say he could be a secondary facilitator and play in the wing a little bit. And I think the last time we talked about giddy, some Australian fans took it personally. That's like an asset to have a, a second guy yeah. who can run the offense once the ball is swung. And we've said similar things about Cade Cunningham. Doesn't have to play on the ball all the time if you are. The, the next line of, of offense there on, on a ball reversal or it's a pick and roll, hit somebody in the corner, he can make the next play. That's something you want on the court for a, a different look, perhaps. Yeah, and 
the other thing with giddy is like everyone i've talked to around here just like raves about work ethic competitiveness levels like um you know understands how to go about his business in like a really professional way already at 18 years old so i feel good about giddy like i I would take him you know somewhere between you know nine and 14 or so like i i have him as a lottery pick and would feel good and i think that australian fans should feel like genuinely really excited about giddy like he is he's a really really good prospect like he's done way more as a prospect than what dante exum like ever did over here in australia so like people should be pumped about josh giddy i think he's really good people are pumped it seems anyway on if you if you do your social media searches i, I think i'm probably in the the sameish range i, I want to say a little bit lower he would be the first international guy for me that i would i would take yeah i agree with that as well i think he is the first international guy that i would take um okay Usman Garuba is the last guy that I think we're going to go like deep, deep on, but we'll talk about the other. Um, we might go a little bit deeper on Prakachin as well, because Prakachin just had like an enormous game, um, you know, a week and a half ago uh, that was somewhat interesting to me. But Garuba is the other guy that folks talk about as like a very real top 20 pick. And I was not there on Garuba. I don't think you were either, right? I am still not, but keep talking. Okay. He's actually like gotten a lot better offensively over the course of the last month to the point where I'm a little bit higher. Like I actually, like before I was like, I think this guy's like number 31. I would draft and stash him and like let him play overseas for one more year and then bring him over. I actually think he's like now hit the point where his offense is good enough for him to meet the baseline to be able to take advantage of his defensive ability which is like genuinely high level so um matt i'll let you take the floor on what you see from garuba the always start with the positives he's an exceptional multi-positional multi-effort defender uh he can guard one through five he switches on the perimeter he can hard hedge and get back quick hands on steals even when he's beat he recovers hard and hustles and will protect the rim. He'll block shots at the basket. Uh, he chops his feet very hard on closeouts. It's hard to get by him. He'll rotate from the weak side of the floor to the opposite side and outside of the paint. Just offensively for me, it, it's still a little loose. And, and most of his points are on broken plays or on dump-offs in the dunker spot. There seems to be this growing buzz on his jump shot. I, I, I'm just not I'm not on board with it. Yeah. it. It's like a hard, rough shot. There's a lot of movement. He kind of leans left and shoots right. Bobbles a lot of passes in the paint. He kind of lacks touch around the rim a little bit. He's gotten better as a role man in pick and roll. And he's best when he has that kind of creating point guard, making those scoring opportunities for him. Seems super strong and almost like a bull when he's fighting in the paint for positioning and boxing out. Teams drafting him are going to have to be believers that his offense will catch up a little bit to his defense because defensively he plays so naturally and he has this kind of kinetic yeah. energy where he he can play crazy and and that's great because you're able to recover and and help and get back and close out and get a steal offensively you want him to just slow down a little bit you can tell when he catches the ball it's like i gotta shoot three i gotta do it now i gotta put it on the deck it's if he takes that moment or two to kind of like recalibrate his offensive thinking I would be more comfortable with kind of what his game is on that end. So would you agree with me that he has like all defense upside in the NBA? Yeah, I do. I I think he's a really good defender. But the question I kind of have for you is for those kind of defensive guys who the offense isn't necessarily quite there yet. 
in the mold of this versatile switching bigs, are you more of a believer in him or a guy like Scotty Barnes? I'm more of a believer in Scotty Barnes because I think Scotty Barnes is like drastically ahead of him offensively. Um, oh, like, I, I do too. Yeah, I do too. But it's, it's more of like, are you willing to invest because Garuba defensively for me is way ahead of Scotty and what he's able to do right now playing for Real Madrid? Yeah, for me, the thing with Garuba is like, before I was worried, is he so bad on offense that he's not going to be able to get on the floor uh, in the NBA? Like that, that was genuinely my concern. Um, because a lot of the early season stuff, yeah, I'm with you. Uh, it was really bad in terms of like not being able to catch uh, consistently and not being able to, uh, you know, make the right reads. Trying to honestly, like early in the season, there was a lot of him trying to do too much. Like there were times where like he'd take like two or three dribbles and like try and spin, and it was just like, oh yeah, you right. just it's lost like, the ball and yeah. like where are you going, right? I think he's as he simplified things late in the season, it's gotten better for him. Don't you think? Like, I think that it it, to- it totally has, and he's had more kind of plays in transition. And he had like one quick quick hands poked out a ball for a steal, then defender ran at him, he crossed it over and dunked. He he definitely has simplified. It's it's he's kind of also become this draft Twitter darling. It seems like the last six weeks or so, and oh, he had no, twenty four points. Tw- it, it's not six weeks. But. He's been one for like three years. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, I'm I'm just in like the the deep dark web of of this now i guess but he had 24 and 12 in the euro league playoffs last week and and now it's like really bubbling over the surface level in terms of draft if we're not necessarily totally on board with the offense yet we're saying maybe he does enough do you consider him uh, a five do you see him potentially playing the four and if so what's the draft value of a guy who has all nba defense upside but still kind of there's some curiosity about what his offense could be Oh, this is gross. Um, I think that he is. Yeah, he's a tough one. I've definitely, like I said, like I had him more like is like a late first, like early second guy, like early in the season after like his start. But the like his offensive growth throughout the season has given me real pause to where I'm like, oh, maybe this will work. Like this, he might actually be fine. And the other thing that he has done really well over the course of the last few weeks is pass it. Like he's actually made some like real yes, plays like there was a game late april like I, I can't even tell like how long ago that is like maybe two weeks ago against fuel and brada or fuel uh fuel and labrada whatever the fuck how the hell how the hell do you say that like you had, like five assists <laughs> you're the international guy figure out yeah right and was like really good and he had um you know like another game uh against uh who the hell was it was it it was was like earlier this week where he had like a few assists and it was clear that like he was diagnosing and reading the game and making like quick read passes and then the other thing that's important to note is like the european leagues in general are much more uh circumspect in how they decide to give out assists uh they, they are not as forgiving with some of these uh, things, they they, <laughs> they would prefer, not, yeah. yeah, they would prefer to not give out the assists. They prefer to give the assists. So, um, I think he's actually a pretty good passer at the end of the day, too. Um, so, like, if you can play him in like a ball screen and short roll him, and then he can make uh, reasonable passing reads, and then can be like an elite level switchable player, while you try and figure out what to do with him offensively, like the rest of the way. 
I mean, like, I think I would take that guy around 20-ish now. Like, I I would take him uh, over there's some, there's Jalen Johnson. Tw- there's something wrong with 20-ish. Yeah. yeah. Like, I'm not a Jalen Johnson guy, I guess, either. So, like, that's a thing. But, um, like, I'd take him over Jalen Johnson. I'd take him over, like, the Sharif Cooper, Trey Mann, like, skinny, you know, inefficient. Um, well, Trey's inefficient in terms of decision-making, not inefficient in terms of shooting. Um, but, like, offense-only guards. Like, I, I would rather have... Usman Garuba than like the offense only guards like Sharif Cooper, Trey Mann, Cam Thomas, um, like that that group. And also to add, he at Real Madrid is the the youngest starter in the program's history at like seventeen years, nine months, whatever. Has been in that system since he was like eleven years old. Has been around good coaching, good development. It's just, yep. are, are you going to be able to get over that? hump of can now getting into an nba developmental system is it going to have a a different trajectory than it would if he still stayed there and are the offensive principles and concepts going to be the same is going to be simplified but uh, i I see it as a guy you want defensively as a closer to end the games and the switchable stuff became in vogue during the the bubble and and still is now uh i just uh, when i see him play and the jumper it's like there there's just work needs to be done for me to be more of a fan i guess like i i don't think he's like luka Doncic of defense like in oh god <laughs> where are you starting with this yeah yeah but like you know what i mean right like he he is like a defensive prodigy over there no no he is and, and i posted something a couple weeks ago just going back just watching all of his defensive clips and some of the stuff he does even when he doesn't it doesn't seem like he knows what he's doing it's just these natural defensive instincts like oh i should step through here in front and then i gotta recover here and and he'll blast out of the play and and overrun it and and die for a steal and miss and sprint back to the rim like like that stuff if you watch as a whole package is a lot more appealing as opposed to i'm gonna watch 300 offensive clips and shake my head because I, i i can't put it together why he's rated so highly no yeah he's he's like a special defender he there is a very real case he is the best defender in this draft class right oh yeah yeah so like so we'll get yelled at for somebody because charles bassi has three blocks a game or something but i, I would oh, say is not even close th- th- throw, throw, stop, stop. <laughs> throw your numbers close. out the window I, I would take him as the best defender yeah yeah like you you could make a case for evan mobley to me given like his versatility and sure. screen yeah, actions I'm and things idiot. like yeah, that we, we missed that yeah um, blocking shots with both hands yeah yeah and just like physical tools and as he continues to fill out like over the course of the next five years like garuba is like I don't know that I want to say like physically maxed out, but like he's like, I, I don't think he's getting like much. He might get a little bit stronger, but like he's not getting like wildly stronger. You know what I mean? Yes, I agree with that. Um, whereas like Mobley, his frame has like a lot of room to grow and fill out. Um, maybe long term, Mobley is the best prospect, but right now like it's not even close. Like Garuba is by far the best defender in this draft. So honestly that probably will get him on the floor immediately and um he's it's it's hard for me to say like the guy that i think is the best defender in this draft class right now i don't think i can get that guy outside of the top 20 i just don't no not not at this pace when he's scoring 24 points in the year league playoffs and you finally have nba scouts actually there in person to watch and evaluate yeah like would you take him or isaiah jackson no different very 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 different i i guess i would say garuba 
Yeah, like I think but I it, take- it depends. It depends on it depends on your roster. It, it's so difficult when you you make your your big boards and your personal list because it, it's so situational too. Like if I if I want kind of a a smaller five and Garuba, or do I just kind of need an energy guy in Isaiah Jackson that can get up and down and work on his jumper? So it's very different fits. I think if it's just A or B, I'd say Garuba, but it would depend on what team I was drafting for. Yeah, I mean, like Isaiah Jackson, like it's hard to get Isaiah Jackson like outside of the top twenty-five. I think. Like, would you? Yeah, would you? They'll, they'll they'll both be around there. I'd say. I, Garuba is going to go higher. I, I think he's going to be a, a top twenty pick. Yeah, like uh, there's a chance I end up with Garuba like sixteen or seven, like fifteen, sixteen, oh, seventeen God. on my board. Like, <laughs> you're going to say six. I'm like, this is why. No, yeah. no, 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 he's not going to be six. Um, but the more I watch him, the more I'm like, okay, this is genuinely like his scramble defense, his rotational defense, like his off ball defense, like um, he communicates really well as well. Like it's legitimately one of the best skills in this draft, like point blank, um, which shows he, he'll he'll be an NBA fan favorite too. Like he's he, totally. he'll take a, a big charge, he's gonna have a big steal in a moment and flex, and the crowd's gonna go nuts and say that guy should have went top ten. We're so lucky we had him. Maybe he goes yeah. 10. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like it's just, he's a ridiculous defender. It's like unbelievable how good he is for a teenager on that end. Um, okay. Roko Prakachin and Rokas Jakubaitis are the last two guys that I think have a real shot to go in the first round uh, in this upcoming NBA draft. So let's do Roko first. Roko Prakachin is a six foot eight ish, six foot nine, kind of point forward. What, what did you? Uh, he plays for uh, Sibona in Croatia as well. Um, where, where are you at on Roko Prakachin? Uh, I like this vision as a, a live dribble passer, kind of six foot nine, and seeing shooters in the corners. He, he can drive and hit those floaters off of either foot. He, he does a lot of those euro moves and runners. Not going to blow by anyone. Confident playing out from three when his man goes under screens, but doesn't does have a, a significant kind of like dip or pump out a shot, so he needs time to get it yeah. off. I actually his don't team, like the shot team, at all, to be honest. <laughs> You're a lot more blunt than I am. Yeah, his no, like runs, it's oh, he has like the unnatural kind of elbow bend like toward his face. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, I don't like the shot at all. I think there's a lot of work there. Yeah, I, I just took my takeaway was you saw it all around. What I didn't see any spectacular games despite him averaging i think like 13 points and seven rebounds a game somewhere around there uh 35 from three 63 from the foul line young prospect doesn't turn 19 i think until november so it, it's kind of I, I would see more as a correct me if i'm wrong here but maybe a, a draft and stash type candidate that needs a little bit more time i do think draft and stash i almost think that I would still consider taking him at the end of the first round, even if I was looking at a draft and stash. Like, honestly, I probably would. Um, became like the youngest captain in the history of Sabona, uh, which feels good. Um, that, like, that feels that feels reasonable when you're a teenage captain of a team. Like, not not since not since the Lord Sidney Crosby have we seen such leadership from a teenager. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, that's like a joke, but at the end of the day, <laughs> when not, I yeah. when I watch him, like, I'm really impressed by how he moves off the ball. I'm really impressed with his passing ability. Uh, he has a lot of skills that I think will translate to being more of an off ball player than most uh which like ultimately is going to be his role like he's not going to be like a creator in the nba um he's gonna have to shoot it i think there is some touch but i don't love the shot mechanics right now 
I think he moves pretty well. Like, I think his mobility is solid. I think his quickness is pretty solid. Um, makes a lot of passing errors. Like, he is one of those guys that trusts his passing ability to a very high level and really tries to hit some tight windows sometimes. And, yeah. and, and that's why it's three turnovers <laughs> a game because of that. Yeah. Yeah, it gets a little bit rough. But I, I do like him. I mean, like, when you watched him versus watching Denny Avdia last year, like, how did you feel? Uh, probably more comfortable in Denny, despite yeah. him, him going as high. But I, I think I like Rocco at 29 rather than Denny at what, uh, 11. I don't have it in front of me. I think he went nine. Um, nine. More more of a value play, I guess, with, with Rocco. And at, at 6'9", like you said, he, he can rip rebounds off the rim and, and push it and start the fast break. And he, he does see you guys, too. He doesn't put his head down and, and not look up the floor, either. Yeah, I think that Denny is just a much more fluid, uh, better athlete at the end of the day. Um, like that translation was never going to be a problem for Denny. It's more of a problem for Rocco, I think, which is why like Denny is a much better prospect than Rocco, in my opinion. But I might agree with you that I might rather take Rocco at number 29 or whatever than Denny at number six. Um, even like as someone who had, like, I think I had Denny at like seven or eight last year. Like, like where, where did I have Denny? I think I might have had him at eight last year. Um, and, and, and he, he's had his moments too. He's just been up and down a little bit. Yeah, no, he's been fine. Like he's been an okay rookie, but um, yeah, semi similar skill sets. Whereas Denny is more of like a perimeter player. Rocco plays a little bit more out of the post sometimes. Um, but similar frames, like six foot nine, two hundred pounds, two hundred and ten pounds. Um, work to do on the jumper, despite having natural touch, real passing ability. Um, yeah, like you can understand why there would be comparisons between the two, uh, different players, but. You know, by NBA standards, Rocco is going to be more of a four. Denny, you can at least see a world where he can slide to the three, which I think is actually important in terms of versatility. Um, yeah, with Rocco, the swing skill is the shot. Like, he's going to really have to shoot it, I think, at the end of the day. They're going to have to break it down, too, with 63% of the free throw line. It's 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 not – sometimes people rely on, on that as, I don't want to say a lazy analytic, but you, you look at the free throw percentage and hope you can bump up the – the three because of that and whatever he'll he'll get there but it, it's going to take time to to break it down and build it back up too yep um the last one is rokas jacobitis wow what did you think when you watched uh rokas well he actually has a decent backstory because he declared last year and pulled his name out of the draft because he had his sights kind of set on this one six foot four left-handed guard can Player off the ball prefers to be the the primary ball handler. Seeing more playing time this season at about twenty plus minutes per game, and he played in that. And this will be talked about, I'm sure, on draft stuff. He played in that big baller brand scrimmage against Lamella Ball in 2018, and, and actually had 31 points. But uh, shifty and creative with change of directions and speed, coming off pick and roll, knows how to get to his spots. That pretty average size, but finishes fairly well through contact. Prefers taking mid-range jumpers as opposed to pulling it from three or, or getting deep into a lane. Not a not a super athlete, but gets good elevation on his jumper. On the surface level, looks like he's a shooter because he shot 46% from three last season, but that was only on 41 attempts. And, and this season at 113 attempts, he's down to 31%. So I, I like them. I, I see the appeal. I, I just wasn't really uh, blown away when, when I watched the film. Yeah, 
I liked him a lot more early in the season. I think that his poise is really good. The way he changes direction, changes pace, uh, is just really, really solid for someone who doesn't have like the most athletic tools. I think he's really comfortable as a shooter and as a scorer and knows how to move without the ball, knows how to ke- knows how to move without the ball and then get the ball on the move in order to get the most out of his athleticism, which part of are obviously is like partially coaching as well. Um I do think he's going to be an effective offensive player. Like you could very easily see him be like a high level bench player in the NBA, kind of in the vein of like a Bano Udre, like he was for a while, but I, I do worry about what the defense looks like for him at the end of the day. I, I think he he is more of like a, okay, first 10 picks of the second round, let's stash him for a year and see how this goes. And, and, and hope that the three-point stuff can get better because he's not bad from threes in the corners when he doesn't have to come off any actions or screens or, or pull up and just has his feet set. As a, at 6'4", defensively, if you have concerns, you, you need to be able to hit shots when you're left open too. Yeah, totally. Um, I, I'm intrigued by Rokas Jakobitis. Like, I, I think he is someone that is going to shoot it at some point. Uh, it's funny, like his Euro League numbers are actually much better than his Lithuanian League numbers, uh, and he. Pl- it's not like, oh yeah, he's playing a lot more in the Lithuanian League because they have more ability to develop him. Because uh, Jalgiris is, um, you know, obviously one of the best uh, teams over in Lithuania. Um, yeah. Having said that, like his overall uh, passing ability hasn't been as good in the EuroLeague games that I've watched versus the Lithuanian games that I've watched. So um, I would like to see him like almost put the two together in a way that like he hasn't this year. Like it feels like in EuroLeague, he's more of a spot up scorer who knocks down shots in the Lithuanian league. It feels like he's a bit more of a distributor who struggles to like often make like the pull up jumper or um, to make an impact like outside of uh, scoring the basketball or uh, making higher level passes. I I would almost like to see him try to combine the two in a way that like he just kind of he hasn't this year. Like it feels like every game is like a little bit different with him. Yeah. And now he's firmly in that kind of team rotation. And the knock last year was he didn't play enough minutes to kind of like put that on, on full display to show what he's able to do. And now that he has, there's still just some shortcomings that you want him to improve on in, in order to move up the draft board a little bit. Yeah. Um, any other international prospects that like impressed you when you watch them? Hmm. Let's see. Let's see. Uh, I don't know how many times we're going to talk about this, but uh, Petrushev, Philippe Petrushev from the former Gonzaga big seems to be crawling up boards again because he is having a huge season overseas what's kind of your take on him right now yeah i'm not an enormous fan to be honest i I just don't know what the fit is he has really improved as a shooter which i think is kind of way better yeah critical point for him i am more interested in sangoon than i am in petrashev because i think there's just a lot more feel and a lot more uh like better hands better footwork every time i watch sangoon it just feels more impressive than when i watch petrashev um i also think sangoon has more of a chance defensively than petrashev does i i don't think petrashev is a very good defender right now he's not 
but the the knock coming out of Gonzaga when he talked to NBA scouts was the shooting. I mean, he was a uh, eleven for forty one in his career there. He's up to forty two percent from three this year on only sixty two attempts. So he he's made a, a conscious effort to fix that piece offensively. The, the defensive stuff, I I agree with you, can be a little bit shaky there. I, I just his his also his path is interesting because he was in prep school out in New England and actually was committed to Hartford. And I remember at an Under Armour event, John Gallagher was a head coach and sat down in the coaches section. Yeah, Petrosev's committed and they I forget what team they're playing, but sits down next to me is Kelvin Sampson, sits down next to him is Bill Self. And they start nudging each other like, who's the big kid? I'm like, yeah, this is over. Like, he's a lot, he's a lot better. He was like hidden out in Connecticut like the, the jig is up. Yeah, they, uh, Gallagher needed to hide him long term. Uh, yeah, you, know, you can only hide 6'11 international guys who can score for so long. Yeah, but you know what? Like, Petrushev is really genuinely like dominating that league right now in a way that is impressive. Uh, I do think he is a draft pick for sure like i would probably be comfortable taking him like around 45 50 at the end of the day uh it is important to note that he's older like he's turned 21 already this is not like sangoon dominating this league you know in a season where he was like 18 years old for part of it right um so he is like three years ahead in terms of developmental trajectory but yeah like whenever you dominate a league that badly it is impressive the the thing in my mind that i can't wrap my head around is that drew timmy beat him out last year like by the end of the year like drew timmy you talk to coaches in the wcc like i know the numbers don't necessarily bear this out like philip petrushev still averaged like 16 17 points a game but you talk to coaches in the WCC, they were much worried later in the season when Drew Timmy was on the floor versus when Philip Petrushev was on the floor. And He's a great college player. He's like a first or second team All-American. Gotta gotta give Timmy his credit, though, too. Maybe just the, the game, Timmy's, the, the game fits him in the college sense more than the pro sense for Petrushev. But, like, it's kind of the same with Petrushev, too. Petrushev's, like, 6'11 and yeah. not a super athlete, and, like, they're pretty similar in regard to how they get their offense uh, <laughs> i don't know man maybe the the mustache gives them superpowers this last season i don't, I don't really have the answer yeah like petrushev is more of a post player whereas timmy is like a little bit better on the move like in pick and rolls and stuff but i don't know man it's i think petrushev is probably a bit more likely to be like multi multi-million dollar player over in europe as opposed to super high level, um, you know, international player because, or super high level, like NBA player. Um, Mega is still like 500 in this league, despite the fact that, um, you know, they have Petrushev, they have Marco Simonovic, who was drafted by Chicago last year. Um, they have like Nikola Jovic on this team, who is also really, really good. Uh, they have Malcolm Cazalone, who some people think is like a potential NBA player down the road. And look, you know, at the end of the day, obviously all these players are very young. And like in some cases, like Nikola Jovic, like has played a few games as a teenager for them. Like he's like 17 or something like that. So it's a very young team. So like you wouldn't expect them to you know, be able to compete night in, night out with someone like Red Star, where, uh, you know, 
Red Star is 23 and 3 in the league and has Jordan Lloyd, who frankly should be in the NBA already, and like Landry Noko, who's 26 years old probably, and um, just like an enormous, uh, enormous uh, presence inside and like a physical uh, monster. Like they just have older, better players, and that's okay. Older, better guards, especially. But man, I don't. I don't know what to do with Petrushev. I can't get like, I don't know why, like the numbers are there to get super excited about Petrushev, but I just can't get there. Yeah. 20, 24 points, eight rebounds a game. It, it's a good call out about he did leave Gonzaga for one reason or another, but if it were ultimately drew Timmy and we're talking about Timmy's probably not a draftable guy right now anyway. And, and that was kind of exposed a little bit in the NCAA tournament. Then how come Petrushev is, is climbing and he's kind of like in this 30 ish range now some places right so yeah i i can't i can't get to the point like if petrushev gets taken in the last 15 picks of the second round like i'm good with it and i think it's a good flyer for a team to take um just bet on the production and see if it works long term um i i would be interested to see petrushev in a different situation than mega uh i, I would say I, i'd be very interested Got to it. see him in a yeah. different situation than that yeah well we could be seeing that soon enough with uh the draft also creeping up on us which is nice did you um did you want to talk about like ariel hook porty uh um trying to think who else uh mario nakic Guy santos any 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 Guy santos heads out there yeah that <laughs> that was a lazy eval for me because it, it seems like that thing just kind of popped up and more saw as a 2022 draft candidate. So a lot of stuff I saw was just clips and not full game with Guy six, eight plus wingspan seeing some places it says seven foot plus the shot looks clean. The percentages aren't, aren't the best and he's not a great free throw shooter either can do a little bit uh, as a driver off pick and roll, not blinding speed. Okay. Athlete knows how to catch his man sleeping, likes to pull the ball off the rim and, and start the fast break. I saw more as a, a second round candidate when I watched him. Yeah, I, I'll, I think that that's like a tailor made guy for send him over to the NBL for a year and see how it goes. Um, kind of like uh, what happened with Didi with the Pelicans, like you know, put him and set him up with Sydney after they drafted him. You're recruiting a nice little roster over there. <laughs> You're just recruiting guys to to create content. It's smart. Clearly, this is my move. Um, there's someone else I wanted to ask you about too. I'm trying to think who it was. Um, what? What's? Uh, let me. I'll dive in. What, what do you think about Ariel? Because he he's also played well yeah. lately. The league isn't the strongest he plays in, but seven feet tall, strong, 250 pounds, left-handed big, throws his body around, some floor spacing stuff. Tries to be a little bit more perimeter base, but uh, I, I'm just a little worried about him defensively. Fouls a lot, loses feet a lot, but ha- has played. It seems better at the right time. Yeah, not for me. Um, I'll just maybe leave it there. Um, okay. All right. Can't, I mean, just like doesn't seem to have great touch, you know, doesn't really finish all that well inside. You know, certainly powerful physical rebounds, um, but like shooting 43% from the field while being like a foul magnet is not a great combination for me. Yeah, I don't fault you for that. Like, he, I will say one place he has improved, like, when we saw him at Basketball Without Borders, where, did you see him at Basketball Without Borders? Uh, I Not in person, but I went back and watched this stuff, yeah. Yeah, so it was like, it felt like more of like a pure post, but um, he's started to like step away and shoot it in an interesting way, which is good. Um, like, he's going to need to shoot it 
I think. But I still just don't know that I trust it in any way. Um, yeah, just not personally not a guy for me, I would say. Um, but if a team wants to take him, um, sure, I, I will uh, I will accept. You will accept him in the NBL in Australia. <laughs> I don't know if I'd even be that excited about him in the NBL. Adding a roster. Yeah, yeah, NBL has enough big, strong dudes inside. Uh, That's very true. Very true. Like more guards. And things. Yeah, give me more yeah. guards. Um, okay, so... I think that's all we want to talk about basketball-wise. Did you watch any exciting movies over the course of the last little while? Ooh, exciting movie. A couple. I watched Mortal Kombat. Oh, yes. We haven't talked about Mortal Kombat yet. What did you think? <laughs> Good. I didn't know what the reaction was going to be. Uh, it took me back kind of to elementary school, middle school, where you plugged in the Sega and you did the blood code for ABACABB and they yell, get over here and you're ready. If you don't take it too seriously, I, I really enjoyed it. If, if you're going to pick it apart for the acting and stuff, you can get out of here. But it, it was good for a, a two hour nostalgia trip. I had a lot of fun watching that movie. Like yes, it was, exactly. it's not a great movie. Um, the script is like terrible and like nonsensical. And that's okay. Yeah. But, like, I would watch four more of those movies. <laughs> like, I'm not even going to lie to you. Like, I would well, watch. It started. It started. And I was like, wait, is that guy Scorpion or that guy Scorpion? I was trying to, like, put together the characters. I'm like, wait, is this Mortal Kombat 1, 2? We got Jackson here. But, yeah. but I had fun. It, it, was a, it was an experience for, for two hours. Yeah, it's so great. Uh, I really haven't watched many movies over the course of the last week because, you know, as you know, I've been like house hunting over here. And then um, the other thing is that Laura and I have been raising kittens uh, over here. So a stray cat in our backyard had three male kittens and they've been continued to be raised on in the backyard. They now have moved on to Laura's parents deck. Uh, like they've just <laughs> taken over the deck at this point and every time that we see them they're like walk outside they just immediately sprint up to our feet and start like demanding that we give them like pats and also demand food so <laughs> yeah. it's it's like you've been like texting me like you you live in like a literal zoo right now this is this is oh, the it australian is. Yeah, it is. um it is. australian experience of the week for me here they, Sam explores Australia they've, segment. They've, yeah, they've they've spotted the sucker in the room. It's like rounders. Now you got the the birds chirping, the uh, the cats running after you. It's it's a literal zoo, which is a, quite an accomplishment going from uh, L.A. to out there. Yeah, we're trying to figure out if we want to keep one of the kittens. We already have two cats. Um, we I don't know. We shall see. The other problem is the cats have ringworm, so we've already had to take them to the vet. Um, <laughs> this is so, a TV show. Yeah. So yeah, it's. It's literally just like us raising kittens while trying to find a house. And then, oh, yeah, by the way, I have a mock draft coming tomorrow. So, <laughs> yeah, and, and watching Giddy, yeah, out in person, doing it all. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a lifestyle out here in Australia. Somehow this podcast went for 95 minutes, by the way, Matt Penny. Um, I, I don't yeah, know I, what happened. I, I do know what happened. We, we have a plan and then we we rip it up and throw it in the air. It's generally how it goes. The funny thing is, though, we actually stuck to the plan this time. Like, there was very little extraneous shit here, and we just kind of fucked up and made it too long. <laughs> it, it's all right. Now it's it's two car rides to work and not one. People adjust. Yeah, and people are starting to uh, get in the car to go back to work, which is great. Everyone uh, should be pumped about that. My wife starts a new job here over in Australia, and we'll be driving into work um, starting in, like, mid-May. So 
yeah that's a it's a new experience for everyone huge all right penny tell the people where they can find you find me on twitter matt underscore penny uh we were beaten up a little bit over the the top 25 college jobs but everyone's pretty pretty nice on the uh, surface level anyway so we appreciate that yeah i appreciated it i think the one that um we missed most according to people was marquette i get it like I'm, yes i'm comfortable yeah. with uh marquette fans being upset about that marquette ucla and then i, I messed up hand up i, I said you kind of three national championships i meant to say since 2004 that was in my notes but i just i read it quickly and about a half dozen people said yeah we got four and so i corrected myself and then umass fans got mad that i corrected myself said can't give uconn fans anything i said okay uh, i'm just gonna i'll take the lap i'll, I'll come back in a few <laughs> minutes um I'm trying to think if there's, I can't imagine there's anything else we need to talk about. So uh, go to The Athletic, find uh, the mock draft that I have running tomorrow. Uh, Until next time, though, we'll talk soon.